Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you on this Thursday morning. It's very difficult to not begin to think about the Passover, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we enter into the season of the Passover and the resurrection, most importantly. And so, I've been reading in the Gospel of John the last several weeks, and I finally made it into John chapter 19 this morning and have been impacted by it because it's the day that Jesus is arrested and he is brought uh, before the kings of the earth, so to speak, and here is the innocent Son of God being scourged and whipped and beaten and taken to the whipping post and the crown of thorns in his head and the spitting and the mockery and the beatings on the face and all that. And you read this, and it's very mild in the book of John in comparison to some of the other Gospels, uh, the portrayal. And yet we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave 
his only son to be crucified. And when you're reading the story and you're hearing Pilate saying, you know, I find no fault in this man. He hasn't done anything worth death or worthy of, you know, punishment. And the Jews are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. If you're, you know, if you listen to this man, Jesus, then you're not a friend of Caesar. And we have no king but Caesar. Man, they were really bringing the wrath upon themselves in that generation. And I personally believe that the Jewish people of the generation of Jesus, uh, they drew a bloodline curse on their seed because they said, let his blood be on us and on our seed. And, you know, not until that is broken, not until that bloodline curse, that word curse is broken off the Jewish people, will they really ever know the love of God and the peace of God and the joy of the kingdom of heaven that comes through their Messiah, Yeshua. So we need to be diligent about praying for the Jewish people. I'm talking about the Jewish people, the Jews, and to be praying to God that their ancestral word curses would be broken off their children today because they're probably laboring. You go back to Nazi Germany. Well, what was that? You know, people think it's incredulous to think that, well, that was because of a a curse, because of what they said against God's son. Well, to me, it's not so incredulous. To me, it's, wow, your forefathers, your ancestors, they pronounced a curse. His blood be upon us and our children. And so through all these generations, you just wonder if that was not uh, an, an effulgencing of the curse that they put upon their own seed. We need to be praying for the Jewish people today, for Israel today, that that bloodline curse would be broken and that that, that that pronouncement will be obliterated. And yet we know today in Jerusalem and around the world, there are Jewish people that hate Yeshua just as much as the ancient fathers did. But that's got to come to an end if the Jewish people are really going to come. And thank God, we live in a generation where we've seen a return of the Jewish people, not just to Jerusalem, not just to Israel, but a return of the Jewish people to their own Messiah. Uh, Jews for Jesus in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and you know the Messianic movement around the world is a very real movement. And so we praise God for that, and we would pray that all of the Jewish people would come to know their Messiah. Thank God we have received the Messiah that first came to the Jews. And now we have become the very covenant people of God with them who believe, with them who believe. So I'm thanking God for today and praising the Lord that we uh, had such a great salvation, such an amazing salvation, that the body and the blood of Jesus Christ was crucified for us so that our sins could be forgiven. It's a very powerful message. Today is March 11th. We remember back, I think it was 10 years ago, in 2011, that the massive tsunami that destroyed parts of Japan on this day, we remember that, was an awesome day of terror and destruction that hit the Japanese island. And so we remember that today. We also remember on this 11th day that we are Three days away, we're talking three days now, okay? In three days, the first day of the first month of the new year will begin. Now, that's according to Exodus chapter 12. 
Exodus chapter 12, this shall be done to you the first day of the first month of the new year. Okay, so that is in our calendar, March 14th. That will be the first day of Nisan, 5781. And as we've been talking about, just kind of throwing it out there, that the Hebrew number 5781, Mua and Muaka, when you look at it, means to pack your bags. It means distress. It means pressure, which is the word tribulation. And it's very interesting that 5781 in the Hebrew number actually means that, and that that is going to commence the, the year 5781 in the Jewish calendar here in just three days. And then in 17 days will be Passover. We will celebrate Passover on the 14th day of the first month. That would be right around March 27th, the evening of March 27th. The first day of Passover would be March 28th. And we can get more into that as we go. But what was the Passover all about? It was foreshadowing, okay? It was looking forward to something that was way beyond itself. It speaks to us very loudly about the emancipation, the liberation of the Jewish people, Israel, that were slaves in the house of bondage. And yet when God told Moses to take that lamb and to shed its blood and put that blood on the doorpost of every house, well, that was definitely God giving them something to do until the time would come that the reality of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the, the Passover Lamb of God, would shed his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world and bring redemption and salvation out of the house of bondage that human beings have found themselves in since the fall of Adam. And so the blood, the blood, the blood, the most powerful, wonderful revelation of the blood of Jesus, I believe is what is necessary for all of his kids everywhere. That blood is still speaking. That blood is still testifying. That blood is still redeeming. That blood is still atoning. That blood is still poured out on the mercy seat and speaking justification, not guilty, uh, to those who have received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so when we celebrate Passover, we find the intrinsic value of what Passover actually meant in this new covenant. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we were told by the Apostle Paul, let us therefore keep the feast, referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 tells us all about it and the following scriptures. So we're going to celebrate Passover. We're going to gather together, and we're going to remind ourselves. We're going to refresh ourselves. We're going to renew ourselves in the blood covenant that we have been called to. You and I are in covenant with God. You and I have been drawn into a covenant, an agreement, and a relationship sealed in the blood. It is a blood covenant. There had been many covenants from the time of Adam all the way through up until Yeshua, but he is the final covenant. The final covenant that God has made with man is through his son, Jesus Christ. And you're a believer. That's not casual. That's not a light thing. The idea that God came looking for you, that the great shepherd searched you out, knocked on the door of your heart and brought you to himself, an act of reconciliation. Remember, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto himself to the Jew first and then to the ends of the earth. 
the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth because it was God's heart desire to reconcile his creation back unto himself. And the idea that the spirit of the Lord found you and found me and brought you and I to a living faith in his son Jesus is a phenomenal reality. We can't even explain why we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin womb. We can't even explain why we believe, having never seen, that Jesus died on the cross. Why do we believe that? Why is that so easy for us? Because there was a foreknowledge in the heart of the Father before the foundation of the world. He said in Ephesians, he knew us before the foundation of the world. And it has the appearance, when we look at Romans chapter 8, which I love to look at, where it, it, the, the appearance of the scripture, well, why don't we just turn there for a second, Romans chapter 8, and I'll just pick it up in verse, well, let's go to verse 28. We'll start there. One of the famous scriptures of all time, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know, do we know, do we know? I mean, not epignosis, scientific head knowledge, but do we know in intimacy in our hearts, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment. For everyone that loves God, everything that goes on in their life ultimately works together for good. There's nothing, no situation. David is in the caves of Agilom on the run from Saul, but it turned out for good. Joseph is thrown into prison by his brothers, but it turns out for good. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. The scriptures are very clear that for those who love God, everything in your life, that hard divorce, that broken family, that broken marriage, that runaway child, that affliction in your life, all things work together for good concerning those who love God. What a, what a refreshing reality, but we're to know this. And when we know it, not with our head, because our head, sometimes knowledge can go back and forth. It varies, you know, we have variations of thinking. But in the knower, like I know I, that I know certain things, I know this, I, I, I know it in my heart. I don't need to be convinced in my head. I know it. Well, when we know that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, so you and I have to remember, as, as, as the Lord has called us, it was not in vain. It was a calling according to his purpose. So that means that truly you and I are here on purpose. God has a purpose in calling you into eternal salvation. God has a purpose in calling you into eternal life. And that is a phenomenal thing. Who could take that lightly, right? And then he says, and, and here's, here's how it works out. This is an, a wonderful thing here. For whom he did foreknow. Now, this is you. He foreknew you. If today you're listening to this broadcast and you're a believer and you love Jesus and you're on fire for God, and you obey God, and that's how you know you love God, if, if this is your reality, well, God foreknew you. It says it right there. For whom he did foreknow, what, what did he do? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate 
You have been predestinated. Now, don't run ahead too quickly. Just kind of let's talk about this for a moment. We're talking about a great salvation here, not a general thing, not a light thing, not a transient thing. We're talking about an eternal weight of glory here and the phenomenal reality that God chose you, that God called you. You certainly did not. I certainly did not choose God. I didn't call God into my life. No, that's religion when man does that. No, we're talking about God choosing and calling because he foreknew you and because he foreknew you and because you love him, everything's going to work together for good, regardless what it looks like at the moment. And then you were predestinated for what? What did God predestinate you for? Now think about it. You're walking on this earth. You're 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, 10 years old, whatever. You're on the earth. You're aware. You are now a living soul. But before you ever got here, you were foreknown by God that you would be here. That's how awesome God is. He foreknew you, okay? So here you are, oblivious to God for the most part. It's like a veil came over the mind and the darkness came over and that human nature and that carnal mind is there and we're just kind of oblivious to God. We have our ideas about God and, you know, all of that is there. There's something operating there to a degree. But all of a sudden, God comes into your life and he knocks upon the door of your heart. Why? Because he foreknew you. And now he's finding you. He's coming to get you to come back to him. You're out there. You're wandering. You're 20 years old, 30 years old, doing your own thing. But all of a sudden, God is beginning to draw you to his heart. Some people take longer, some people earlier. But he's coming after you because he foreknew you. Now, he's calling you, knocking at the door. What is required? That you open the door. And we did. We opened the door. We accepted and invited Jesus to come into our hearts, into our lives. We, were, uh, we had a conversation, and the conversation convinced us that this is the right thing to do. So now we're accepting, but behind the scenes, God all along was the one drawing. God was the one knocking at the door. He was the one pursuing. He was the one choosing. I mean, that's phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal when you think about it that God had you in his thoughts and you in his mind all along. So now he's calling you, but it's not without purpose. He's actually called you for his purpose, not your purpose, not my purpose, but for his purpose. So he knocks on the door. We respond. He calls us and we accept. We are invited in and we accept the invitation and vice versa. Now it begins. So what were we called to? What were we purposed to? Well, he said that he did predestinate us. So before, listen to this, before God ever knocked on the door of your heart, he already has planned out your destination. But in order to get you <clears throat> to your destination, he has to begin the process of knocking on your door. <clears throat> he had to reach out. He had to search you out. He foreknew you from the foundation of the world. He knew you'd be here. And then he searches you out because he has a plan for you. <clears throat> You're part of his plan, his purpose. Phenomenal. Now, 
For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Wait a second. I didn't have a destination geographically. You mean heaven is not my geographical destination? Well, we're going to heaven. No doubt we're, we're of heaven. Heaven is our eternal abode, whatever heaven really is in all of its glory. But that's not what we were predestinated to go to heaven. The Bible says that you and I were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And that conforming is the metamorphosis where, or the metamorphosis, whatever, butterflies and caterpillars and butterflies, we're, we're going through a metamorphosis, a metamorphosis in some cases. And the idea is that God predestinated you to be conformed into the image of his firstborn son. Now, that's an amazing calling. Now, you talk about a high calling. Can you think of any higher calling than for God to pursue you with a thought already pre-thought before you ever knew him, that when God knocked on the door of your heart, he already had an idea of what he wanted for you. He already had a plan for what he wanted for you. He already has a destination. He already planned it out for you. So he's searching you out. He's calling you to himself. And a lot of times we come to God to get what we want from him. But really God is calling us to himself so that he can do something in us And the thing he wants to do in you and I is to bring us into the image of his firstborn son. Why? Because in the originality of creation, when God created man, he created him his own image and likeness. And we know that the image and likeness of God was marred and obliterated because of man's sin. And now we have another nature, a beast nature, a human nature, uh, a nature filled with enmity and sin and darkness and all of that, corrupt and depraved and polluted in every sense. And yet... In that state, there's something that God knows about us, and he wants to select us because he has a purpose to bring back his image in us. Wow. Are you telling me that's a light, transient thing? That is not a light, transient thing. That is amazing, right? So how did he find you? All perfect and pretty and ready to go? Heck no. He finds us buried in the darkest places of the earth. I mean, broken, damaged. It's almost like the devil also knows something. And so he does everything in his power while we're in the womb. And when we exit the womb and as we grow up as little babies and then children, he does everything in his power to destroy us before God could greet us. So he's working all this devastation, destruction, bloodline curses, third and fourth generational curses, born with all these infirmities and ideas and then molded and uh, set in personality by our environment and our home and our, our, our neighborhoods and our schools and our, all the. So the enemy seems to have a knowledge about those that God has a purpose for. And he tries to destroy us so that by, sometimes by the time God finds us, we're damaged goods. And all human beings are damaged goods because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, some more than others. But there's a danger in thinking that you're better than someone else because that's not going to flow. We all need redemption and salvation. 
So the idea is, yes, even Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Jerry Nadler, they all need it, including Joe Biden. They all need it. They're just broken people, demonically possessed, like we were at one time. Now, I just thought I'd throw that in there. So he finds us, and then God has a destination. He has a plan for you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you. I'm going to purchase you. So he purchases us with his son's blood. That is the redemption fee. That is the price that we would be bought by the blood. That's the only redeeming value. Not all the money in the world could purchase one soul from God's eternal wrath or death. So the blood of his son is the redeeming price. He paid the price. He bought you. He called you with a purpose in mind, foreordained, predestinated to conform you into the image of his firstborn son, which is the original image of God himself that man was originally intended to possess. So God is just bringing all things back to himself. That's what reconciliation is. So now we know that all things are working together for you Regardless of what you've gone through, no matter where you've been, whatever you're going to go through, all things work together. We have to know this because we are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the chosen of the Lord. We are the called out ones from by the Lord. He did it, not us. So with that, how does this work now? All right, the end result, the destination is being conformed into the image inwardly. So this is a transformation. This is an intrinsic inward uh, restoration of our existence, our nature. This is that seed, which is Christ being planted in the good soil of our hearts, bursting forth a new reality. If any man or woman be in Christ Jesus, he or she are new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So the seed by which we have been born again, is incorruptible. And we know, according to Galatians 3, that Jesus Christ is the promised seed. So when Christ is planted in the good, rich soil of our faith in our hearts, well, that seed has to reproduce after its kind. And in the internal intention of God, that seed is Christ. It's his full nature, his full image. And that seed is supposed to be overwhelming and taking root and producing the fruit of a new creation. Now that is so far beyond our ability. It's absolutely amazing, but it's the seed at work. It's the spirit that's been uh, given a sign to us to take care of that seed, to reproduce, to bring it forth, to nurture and water it. And my God, all we need to do is cooperate. But watch this now. Not only are we predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, It's for this reason, that he, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Father God wants sons. His firstborn son is the chief. He's the only preeminent being in the universe. There will never be a more preeminent one than Yeshua, than Jesus, He is the first, the chief. He is the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. So there'll never be any preeminence. That's why this struggle in the body of Christ, who's who in the body of Christ, is nonsense. 
when the disciples started doing that with Jesus, hey, who's going to sit here and who's the, the greatest? He's like, guys, you have no idea what you're talking about. This, this shuffling about, I'm better, and, and people trying to get better and one-upmanship and all that stuff. Forget that's nonsense. There's never going to be anybody more preeminent than Jesus Christ, and we need to accept the fact that wherever he places us in the body of his love, we're members of his body, he sets us where he wills, and we need to be content with whatever that is. If I'm a little pinky or a little toe, whatever my part is, if I'm set by God, it's a good thing, right? So we have to discover that. But here's the deal, that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, how does it work? How does it work? Verse 20, verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, right? You're predestinated. You're foreknowledged. All things are working together for your good. So whom he did predestinate you to be conformed into his image, them he also called. So look at it. God knew you before you knew God. God had a destination for you. He predestinated you to be conformed in his image before you ever knew it. So now what God does, because you don't know him, I don't know him. We don't understand what he wants, right? But those he predestinated, them he also called. So the beginning of your journey and my journey in this walk that we have been called to, we are journeying. Jesus called us. He got on the phone to our hearts and said, hello, I'm outside. Can I come in? He made a phone call to our hearts. He called us. And he says, and whom he called, which is the beginning of our journey back to him, right? Whom he called, them he also justified. The first thing that has to happen when we come to Jesus after we accept the call, he's got to justify us. Why? And that word justification is just as though I've never sinned, right? We are justified from all things. What does that mean? The work of restoration has to begin with us becoming aware of the fact that we have been justified by what Christ has done for us. The, the ministry, the doctrine of justification has to take root in our lives that you and I are justified, that through the atoning blood of Jesus, through the crucifixion of Christ, through the sacrifice of laying his life down, that he took your guilt, he took the penalty for your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world. He did it, but he's got to bring us to the knowledge of that so that we can understand, that we can accept the fact that we're not going to be the ones to atone for ourselves. There's nothing we could do about what we've done, that he has completely and fully eradicated the sentence of death and condemnation against us. He tore it down. And so he has to, after calling us, he justifies us. He has to get the revelation to our minds, you're forgiven. You're justified. Not because you're a good person, not because you're worthy, not because of your works. You are justified because I'm purchasing you, and I paid a price for you, and now I bought you, and I brought you to myself. Now I'm wiping you clean. 
I'm justifying you. I'm going to start a work in your conscience, in your soul. I'm going to emancipate you from the demonic bondage. I'm going to release you from the guilt, shame, and condemnation of everything you've done back there. I'm going to empower you by my spirit so that you could go forward and walk a sin-free life that you will learn you don't have to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer going to be in bondage. You're not going to feel that weird feeling about yesterday's sins. You're going to be cleansed, justified, washed in the blood. And remember, that word wash means to tread and trample. And that blood of Jesus treads and tramples upon what? The iniquity of the soul? The perversion and the depravity. I don't care how perverse you've been, how depraved you've been, how perverse or depraved your bloodline is, that blood will tread and trample on all perversion and depravity, period. That's what David cried out in Psalm 51, wash me from my iniquity. And the Hebrew words mean exactly that. So now that we are justified, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. But watch this. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right. We're walking along, minding our business under an orange-colored sky. Smash, bang, calakazam. Wonderful you walk by. Okay, so here... We're living, Jesus comes into our life. He's already known us. God is in him, preparing to reconcile us back to the Father. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. That's in the book of Corinthians. And we can look at that word in just a moment. Maybe we should do it right now. So let's go. I wanted to show you the ministry of reconciliation. And this is powerful. Um, I think reconciliation has two L's, right? Let's see. I probably blew it. Yeah, I blew it. Okay, so what are you going to do? Let's take care of one of those L's, and let's go to reconciliation. There you are. All right, so reconciliation is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Listen to what it says. And all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself? This is God now. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that ministry, Paul was saying, we've received even as God was in Jesus reconciling us to the Father, even so we are to be reconciling the world back to the Father. That is a calling, no doubt about it. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, we have to be fair about this. We live in a sin-sick world. There's no doubt about it. We hate the injustice. We hate it. But we were once in it ourselves. But God came to us through the person of his son, Jesus, through some people that were ministering Jesus Christ, who carried the ministry of reconciliation to bring us to Jesus, and Jesus 
brought us to the Father. That's amazing. So now the Father is bringing you and I to what? Calls us. He justifies us, which is a process. It's a working out. It's not a one-day deal. The reality is it's done. We have to catch up with the reality. And some catch up with it sooner than later. Some people have an incredible ability to have faith to believe that when their past was forgiven, they never think about it again. It's over. They carry no guilt. They carry no shame because they had a moment with the Lord understanding he paid for what they did that they no longer have to carry the guilt of their past. That's phenomenal. Some people, it takes a lifetime. They just carry stuff. They can't get over what they've done. They feel guilty, ashamed, condemned, reproached by it. Well, they're going to have to carry that until the aha moment comes when it's over. My prayer to God for you and me, it's over now. It was over 2,000 years ago. It was over the day that you believed. It's over. And what does it produce? He says that unto them and to whom he justified them, he also glorified. What does that mean? The glorification is the finished work of being conformed into the image of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ. Glorification is the finished work. There seems to be a process of calling, justification, but there's one other step, I believe. Sanctification leads to glorification. So justified, okay, just as though I've never sinned, but now sanctification, live a sanctified life, which is biblical and scriptural, and then glorification. We will be glorified when Christ in us, the hope of glory, fully manifests. Hallelujah. So why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about it because Passover is ahead of us. And Passover was a type and shadow of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, that was ready to begin this work of atonement, redemption, salvation. He's now ready to reconcile creation back to the Father by this act of crucifixion, death, for you, for me. And while that's happening 2,000 years ago in the eternal mind of God, the omnipresent, the omni the all-knowing mind of God, he's already seen you and I back there. To him, it's like two days, 2,000 years. 1,000 years is like a day to the Lord. So he knows you. Now, all I'm saying today is that can't be light and transient. That can't be whimsical in our thinking or casual. The idea, the length to which God has gone to bring you to himself is amazing. It's amazing. And he didn't purchase you because you were all pretty and perfumed. Purchased you damaged, broken, unclean in so many ways. That's how we've been. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he has a purpose for you. He likes you. He knows you. He desires to make you like him. He wants you to be like him. And this to me is what the season is that we're stepping into. And I I believe it's an incredible balance to everything. Because without us really thinking this through and contemplating and, and, and coming into contact with this message, 
we might have a tendency to be fault-finding, finger-pointing, critical, standing out, holier-than-thou, self-righteous. And yet, there is a, a moment where we are to look at the world and see how evil it is and hate it so bad, but with the idea we want to rescue and not destroy. We want to rescue people. And when people don't want to be rescued, that's between them and God. But when, I mean, it's very intricate when you stop and think about our approach to this moment and what we're doing here. And so whatever, you, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever's happening with you, just remember this one thing, that you have been approached, you've been called, you've been purposed, You've been foreknown, you've been predestinated, and everything that goes on in your life because you're one of them is going to work out together for good. It's all going to work together for good. You're going to grow by it. We're going to learn through it. We're going to change through our experiences. God is with us. He's not abandoned us. Whatever we have to go through, maybe we're not doing it right. We're not saying it right. We're not being right, whatever. But if you're one of those that he's called, it's going to work out for the good eternally. The momentary struggle is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed in us, right? So it's all working together for good. So don't be dismayed. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. And know that God is doing something inside of you, right there in the core. He's producing his nature, his character. He's producing it. When people saw Jesus, that's why in John 14, Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was the nature, the character. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ was the express image of the Father. Well, wait a second. If he's the express image of the Father, then what do we do with this scripture? This is in 2 Corinthians, we're told in verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to this. This is amazing. Paul writes, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. You know there's a veil on the minds of the masses. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all... With open face, we're not veiled anymore. When Christ came into our life, we have open face, no more veils. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. So we're looking at the glory of the Lord, are changed. We are changed into the same image. (sighs) Whose image? The Lord's image. We're beholding as in a glass. The glory of the Lord, the image, and we are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord that's been committed to our lives in the mix of all that God's doing is bringing us from glory to glory in our nature, in our character, in our thinking. There's a reformation going on, not out there in the 1500s, but right here, right now, there's a reformation of the Spirit of God in you and in me. 
And that reformation is a constant going from glory to glory in nature, in character, in response, how we deal with things. But what's amazing, if we're being what? Changed into the same image of Jesus, and Jesus is the express image of the Father, what is that? You and I are being changed into the express image of Daddy, of Papa, of Father God, and Jesus, the firstborn that bore that image, and that Spirit of the Lord is in us, bringing us to it. Because we don't know how to get it. I don't know how to become like Jesus. I'd like to in my head knowledge. I can't do it. But God gave me the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is sent into my life not to give me gifts and goosebumps. He was sent to conform me into the image of God himself in nature and in character. Wow. I get to think like God. I get to see like God. I need to express like God and feel like God. I mean, God's spirit, God's nature, you, you, of all the people on the earth, you and me have been purchased for that purpose? Mamma mia. Are you kidding me? So how valuable then are you? I'm just asking, if God's eternal purpose is to conform you into his express image, how valuable are you that he went through all these lengths to get you, number one, to purchase you, to call you, to get your attention, to come to him? Man, that took a lot of work. He was lining that up since the day you came out of the womb. And yet all these things happened because of sin. But he found you. He sought you out. You're not a mistake. Foreknown. That's amazing to me. (laughs) That's amazing. So how valuable are you then if God is searching you out, finding you, justifying you, committing his spirit to you, sanctifying you with a purpose to conform you into the same image of his firstborn son, who is the express image of God the Father? Wow. So when I come to Passover, we come talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 cried out, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wasn't talking necessarily about the resurrection from physical death, which we all are partakers of. He said, basically, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, I want to know the out-resurrection from among the spiritually dead. What was he saying in Philippians 3? He said, when Jesus Christ came into this earth, he was the first life-giving spirit. The rest of creation was a living soul. We were all animated, living souls. But there was no life-giving spirit. There was the law of God, the word of the Lord, but there was no life-giving spirit. When Jesus, Paul knew this, when Jesus came into this earth, he came as a torch of light, and he effulgenced out of himself light and life. And everybody that came into contact with him, he brought to life illumination, comprehension, understanding, perception, recognition. Amazing. And so Paul was saying, I want to know what it's like to be in the out-resurrection from the spiritually dead 
creation. I want to walk like Jesus walked among the spiritually dead, and I want to impart life to them. And that's what you and I are here to do. We've been born again. We have already been raised from death, according to Ephesians. We've been raised from death. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, right? But God, who's rich in mercy. So we have come to a place of resurrection life already, but we haven't understood that the purpose of that resurrection life is intended for the confirmation into the image, but also while we're here to be able to impart life to everyone we meet, whether it's through a healing, through a word of knowledge, through a hug, through a smile, through love, through a message, whatever, we are here to impart life. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted to know. I want to know it. The power of an out-resurrection from among the spiritually dead. I want to be spiritually alive and impart life. It's amazing. This calling to be followers of Christ with our crosses. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's, it, it, it gets a little quagmire in our thinking. But if we could just remember, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, if he really came into your life and saved you, man, you got to know the path you're on. You have to remember, whatever you go through is going to work out for good. He is committed to bringing you to his destination, which is an image of himself from the inside out. Folks, it's an inside job. It doesn't really matter out here what house we live in, what color our skin is, whether we're males or females, what do we drive, what are the placards on our wall, what is my job, who is my family. No, none of that. I mean, there are benefits. It's all good, but it's not primary. It's all secondary to the calling of you, you. And you get your kids to understand this. You get people in your church to get to understand this, that their life was selected and chosen by God with a calling on purpose. You get people to begin to understand that. And it's, no, it, it's just a different mindset. We might call that a paradigm shift of our thinking, our understanding we talk about end times. We talk about the last days. We talk about the great tribulation. We talk about the commotion in our nation right now. We talk about the injustice. We talk about abortion. We talk about homosexuality and the wickedness and the evil going on in society. What a great time, really, to effulgence. What a great time to show forth. You remember in Matthew 17, when Jesus took three of his disciples to a high mountain on the seventh day, do you remember the transfiguration? Remember what it says here? If I may, just Matthew chapter 17 for a moment. Here's, here's what I thought was really cool. Stay with me on this. Matthew 17, here's the story. <clears throat> After six days, Matthew 17, 1, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. There's his inner circle, three of his apostles, his disciples, 
Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart. You see, the Lord wants to elevate us, right? He wants to elevate our thinking. He wants us to go further, higher. He wants us to go beyond the lower realities. He wants to bring us up, give us a new perspective of things, right? So he brings them up into a high mountain apart. You might consider Revelation chapter 20 when John was taken to a, or chapter 21 in Revelation, John was taken to a high mountain, and boy, did he get a, an epiphany of seeing things certain in, in a certain way. Well, Jesus took them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. Never stop and think about that. What, what is that? What does it mean he was transfigured. Well, there are some definitions in the Greek and the concordance, but when you study it all the way down and you research this transfiguration, what it's really saying is that Jesus Christ was effulgencing. In other words, he was literally outraying. He was putting on display the glory that was in him. In other words, he was showing off. He was showing out. When he took those men to that mountain and was transfigured before them, his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. What is that? Where was that coming from? Light from heaven? No, it was coming from within him. Transfigured. I'm hearing something upstairs. All right, so this light, this transfiguration is coming through him. It's coming out of him. Why? Why is Jesus transfiguring himself before them and this display of this light and this shining like sun rays coming out of his being And then it tells us that, behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And and so we, we get into this conversation. But let me just fast forward. Why did Jesus put on display the glory that was in him, that was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, doing all the works that he was doing? That, that was the glory. Why was he putting that on display for them? I know Moses and Elijah came. The father came in the cloud. Incredible. So much to unpack. But why did Jesus do this? Well, the answer is found in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, here's the reality. In John 17, and we go all the way, think to about uh, verse 21, John 17, 21. And let's see what it says. It's kind of around there. Jesus is praying in John 17, 21. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And here it is, verse 22. This is the answer. This is why Jesus did what he did on that day before them. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. What was Jesus transfiguring? 
What was he putting on display? The glory. The glory of God. God gave Jesus the glory. Jesus just said in John 17, Father, the glory you gave me, I've given them. I believe that glory is in the Holy Spirit. I believe that glory is in Christ. It's God's glory. There is glorification, right? Remember, he brings us through the process of calling, justification, sanctification, glorification, the glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the glory is in us. Have you been born again? Have you received Christ in you? the hope of glory and glorification. So what did Jesus do then? He transfigured the glory that was in him. Why? He wanted them to know this is going to be on the inside of you. This is, on, this is what's going on inside of you, in the spirit. And, and, and it's so veiled at times. It's kind of, it's absolutely amazing, but it's a fact, it's a biblical reality that, Glorification, glory, is incubating, it's breathing, it's, it's, it's motion, it's there. But we have had a difficult time transfiguring it, getting it out, because we've had a wrong configuration of our mindset. And that's why the word of God says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So a wrong configuration will prevent a transfiguration. So in order to have a transfiguration or a way to get the glory out is a reconfiguration of the present configuration in order to produce a transfiguration. Figure that out. Well, here's what it really is saying. God, in the beginning of time, formed a man. Genesis 2-7. God formed a man. Then we know that man sinned and he was deformed. So God went back to work and began to inform the man that he was going to reform the man through transformation unto a being conformed into the image. Galatians 4.19, the apostle Paul cries out, Oh, little children in whom I travail again until Christ be formed in you. That's apostolic reality. True apostles don't wear silk suits and drive big cars and write books and talk smooth stuff. True apostles have one ambition, and that is to see the body of Christ conformed into the image Christ be formed in them. So it began with a form. It's going to end with a form, and that form is Christ. So that was just kind of having fun. All right, so here we are today. I don't know where I am. I, you know, I just wanted to get that information out that your life is more than just a wandering star. <clears throat> You're more than a cloud without water. There's substance to your walk. There's substance to your life. You know, people wandering around the earth with no purpose. Imagine that. No calling, 
no direction, no future, no hope. And look what it says in Ephesians. I mean, that description is exactly what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, right here in verse 11, Ephesians 2, 11. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles, remember this is what we were, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. That means the Jews used to call all the rest of us the goyim or whatever uh, in the flesh made by hands. That at that time, this time before we knew Jesus, okay, this is what he says in verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, true, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, very true, I was, a, I was an alien to them, I knew nothing about them, strangers from the covenants of promise, certainly was, had no idea what God was doing with the Israel, the Jews, and Jesus, didn't know anything. Having no hope. That's what it says right there. Having no hope and without God in the world. People everywhere are walking aimlessly on this earth like clouds without water. There's no substance to them. There's no hope. There's no eternity. They're like a vapor here and then gone like the cloud that dissipates. You have purpose to your existence. Now, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Oh, it's the blood. So that was our reality. Without substance, clouds without water, wandering stars, the ones that are set, we look at them, right? We navigate by the set stars. A phenomenon comes along every once in a while. Something moves up there. We go, oh, it's a phenomenon, but then it's gone. Hail, bop, comet, whatever. There it is, it's gone. But the set ones, you're a set one. You're an eternal. Those who are wise shall shine as the stars in the firmament. Daniel 12. You have become purpose. There's water in your cloud. There's substance to you. There's value. There's hope. These are the things that I just can't get away from as we approach Passover and Resurrection Sunday. So how does it work? How do we, how do we integrate this with living in the last days, the end times? Do you know if you or I were to die today physically, do you know that we're never going to die? Did you know that Jesus said in John chapter 11, he who believes in me and lives shall never die? What was he saying? We have eternal life in us. At our physical death, the eternal life doesn't disappear. We are now living in eternity. We have eternal hope. We have eternal destiny, conformed into the image, and then only God knows what, what he's got planned out for a bunch of people just like himself throughout eternity in cosmic universe. I mean, who knows? Got to be incredible. But you're in it right now. You have eternal life. You're no longer a wandering star. No purpose, just flashing by. If someone's born, they do something, and they're gone. No, 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 you're a set one. Everywhere you go, there's water in your cloud. 
There's life in you. Spiritual life is in you. I find that amazing. So now I'm walking in end times. I study this word, and man, you know what it tells me? It tells me that we're living in the last days. It tells me that the Antichrist is coming, Lucifer. It tells me that there's a seven-headed dragon with ten horns. It tells me that there's a false prophet and a beast that's coming to make war with the ecclesia against my soul. It tells me in Revelation 9 that the portals are going to open and demonic presence are going to come out so wicked that if you get stung by one, you're tormented for five months. You want to die, but you can't. I don't want to get stung by that. They could only touch those who don't have the seal. So we're told all this incredible stuff. You're dealing with life every day. You're going through life every day. You're working out your marriage. You're working out your family. You're working out your ministry. You're working out your job, your calling. You're working out your salvation. You're, you're going through life. You're having good days, bad days, up days, down days. You know, you're going through life. But the, the uniqueness of you and I is that all things work together for good for us. We didn't ordain that. God did. Everything's going to work out. Even a lousy broadcast on podcasts, it'll work out too. All things work together for good. Everything. That's why you can't be afraid to live your life. Wisdom, direction, we all want that. But what is the wisdom? The wisdom is the purpose. Why you're here, God's purpose to conform you into his image. That's wisdom. Oh, now I need direction towards that end. We say, well, I want wisdom to what, what, what person to marry, what job to marry. That's all good, but that's not the eternal purpose. Your marriage is not eternal. Sorry. Your children are not eternal. Your little family under your roof, it's not eternal. Sorry. The eternal purpose is what God's doing with you. He's your source. He's your life. He's the lover of your soul. He's everything. So if we want wisdom and we want direction, we've got it now. Wisdom, I'm being changed into the image of God. Hallelujah. Direction, how do I move in cooperation to get there? I have to have a part in it. I have at least have to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit for they who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's a lot of children but very few huias. There's a lot of children, but very few sons. And that simply means there's immaturity and maturity. God is looking for a mature nature in you and I, a maturing of the image. And we're all moving in that direction. But he wants to accelerate things. Right now, there is a major shift going on in the world in two directions. The adversary of all mankind, the adversary of the church and the adversary of your soul is accelerating his intention against everything called God. God's intention is also accelerating towards those who are his. And his intention has been revealed to bring us to become like his son, Jesus, in nature. So that we could do things like Jesus did. You see, can you imagine Jesus Christ? Stay with me one more moment. Don't let me get you monotone here. Can you imagine 
Jesus on the mountain outrages. Face shone like the sun, effulgencing light rays, glory is going out of him. Can you imagine hmm, 10 million? Let's just take a small number of believers around the world. Can you imagine 10 million of God's kids who have been journeying and walking with him, coming to this mountaintop experience with a suddenly moment of an transfiguration of all 10 million of them at the same time? Whoa, what would that look like? What would it look like for 10 million of the father's kids manifesting, effulgencing, sending light out of us, glory that's not our own, it's his, but manifesting forth that glory at the same time. It would eclipse everything. It would be like a brilliant flash of light. Poof. That's why the prophet Isaiah said that in that day, it will be like the sun shining seven times. Seven times. That's perfection. Sun without obstruction. Light. Sevenfold. Oh, my gosh. We're the light of the world, right? We're called to be the light of the world. I could shine... Uh, this little light of mine. Man, it's not about this little light. There's light inside of me, but I could shine it wherever I go. You could shine it wherever you go at different times and different places. But can you imagine maybe God's end time purpose in the midst of all that's going on? That God is going to have a people elevated. Remember the 144,000 that stand on Mount Zion with the Lord in Revelation 14? Whoa, there's a effulgencing ready to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's like a light explosion ready to happen. Can you imagine? And it's happening in you. This is happening on the inside of you. This is light. This is glory. This is born again. This is new species, transformation, configuration. I mean, this is rich. And you and I have been called into what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches. Uh, <laughs> ah, man. I see my friends are out there on chat. chat. Hey, Mark, by the way, Mark, can you hear me? Brother Mark. I have it in my heart. I want to come visit you in Mexico. I want to bring Patricia and maybe a few friends. Can you work that out, please? I want to come visit my brother, Mark, in Mexico. Contact me. Let me know if that's a possibility. I really feel I'd like to do that. That's, it won't leave me. It's been going on for a couple of weeks. So let me know about that, okay? All right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I see Johnny J.D. saying, come on, come on, Lord. The spirit and the bride say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm saying, Lord, 
accelerate your work in producing in me what you've been designing all along. You are the potter. I am the clay. You're going to unveil your workmanship, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. You know that in Ephesians chapter 2. Lord, I don't know. I've been out here in my mind and out here in my thinking and out here in my physical works and all that. But Lord, what is the secret work, Ben? Unveil your secret work that he who began a good work in me may complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bring it forth. Unveil the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Unveil your workmanship. Unveil it. I know that we have been, you know, we haven't done it the best, but you have been doing a perfect work inside, intrinsic. Nobody could see it, but you. And you're going to manifest that forth. And that's me, and that's them, that's us in eternity. Are you kidding me? You can't get this stuff from Buddhism. I don't care how long you fit in yoga. I don't care. You can't get this from Buddhism or Hinduism. You can't. This work is exclusively for those who have come to Jesus Christ, for there is no way to the Father in image and likeness but through his son. There's no way to the father's image to become. There's no way apart from Jesus Christ. Can't do it. Could hum as long as you want. You can get the vibrational forces of the universe all you want. You ain't going to change anything into the father's image without going through the son. Only thieves and robbers try to come in another way. New age, science of mind, metaphysics, all of it is going to fall short. It doesn't change set. It doesn't do it. All right. I was just told that I should do a question and answer, show call-ins, etc. All right. I could do that right now if you want to. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. Lines are open. 818-369-0326. Have questions and answers. Does anybody have a mamma mia in them with what you've heard today? Any mamma mias out there? Anybody say, man, that's, that's, that's good. Jim says, I have you the code and you won't listen. I don't know. Survival.com, prosper, proper way to read the 22nd chapters, 22 chapters of Revelation. Jim, it's not that we're not listening. I, you put this on a chat room with all this information. I have no access to that information. Do me a favor, Jim, now that you're listening. This information that you're giving me, the HTTPS colon flash flash W, I can't do anything with that on here. You need to send that to me, okay? I know you tried it in Messenger. Do it, send it to me in Messenger. I'll open it up. And I did, by the way. I'll open it up again. I will read it. And I apologize if I haven't given it much attention. We get a little busy once in a while. Send it to me and I'll give it a read and then we'll talk about it. All right. My apologies. All right. Holy guacamole, says David Ellison. Hey, where are our callers today? 818-369-0326. Press one on your dial pad. What did you hear today? Where are you at? I'll go through our chat room here. Well, we've got a few minutes. And I want to say good morning to Sharon Evans was number one up. Ken Wagner, good morning, Pastor, and all the saints. Reassuring to hear your voice and views and give direction from the Lord for all of us. 
Please keep up the great work. Thank you, Pastor Ken. That's very kind of you, sir. I appreciate that, and we'll do our best to do so. My brother Mark, sharing your name from the super ancient Sumerians means orbit of light. <laughs> Only Mark would know that. That's so cool. Melissa Fletcher, good morning. Sharon, again, good morning to you. Johnny J.D., uh, American, or amen. Now, Johnny J.D., Johnny, I don't know who you are. I have an idea, but I'm not so sure it's right. Let me know. Praise Elohim. Amen to that. The plurality of God. Carol Carey, good morning, everyone. It's a good day to be alive. God is so good. I agree. Uh, Solomon's real name was Shlomo. Saul is Latin for sun, Om is Tibetan for sun, and On is ancient Egyptian for sun. Okay. Good job, Mark. Breaking it down. Hallelujah. Cindy's saying good morning. Brother Mark, Elohim is plural. Amen. Bereshit bara Elohim, a Jew is Yehudi, and Jews is Yehudim. Yehudim. All right, Carol Carey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Johnny D. Good. Um, We have some amens. Good morning, y'all, from Keith Carey, Brenda Torville. One more good morning. America's government is in the toilet, says Brother Mark. So glad I moved to Mexico. <laughs> okay. Yep. Johnny, that's not going to help. The whole world is going to pass. Focus on Jesus. Don't be with watchdog. Be a watchman. Don't be with watchdog. Be a watchman. Amen. I think that's good. Keith Carey, good. Throw pastor Pelosi, Schumer, Biden. Jesus is the only way, Johnny J.D. says. Sarah says, good morning. Brenda, yes, he did it. Hello, Sarah. God bless you. Hope the weather is good out there. Hey, I've got a call coming in, and this is a very familiar phone number. So let's hear what's going on here in area code 219. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Well, praise the Lord, Pastor Vince. Well, praise the Lord, Brother Don. How are you, sir? Good, good. I have a very important question. Okay. Has springtime actually come to Northwest Arkansas? I think it comes in the spirit. Yes, the twenty-first in March. Talk to me. Does it feel like spring down there? It does. Okay, that's what I need. That's what I need to know. So, how you doing today, brother Don? Everything good? Yeah, real good, real good. I'm just sitting here with the with the moose been listening to you. And uh yeah, real good. How's everything there? Good. Well, let me get your perspective. You know, uh I'm kind of shouting this out today and talking about our spiritual journey with the Lord. You're you know, and you've been in uh, um in your life, you have journeyed into uh a soldier, being a soldier in Vietnam and uh, you've been involved with the ATF, and you've been a police officer, and you've been involved in a lot of that type of military, you know, type of stuff. How does what I say to you resonate, and what is your response to what you're hearing, knowing what you know about this earth and what's going on in our country? Okay. <clears throat> uh, I, I need to correct one thing. I was never involved with ATF. Okay, I was involved- good. I was involved with uh, DEA task task force for three years, FBI task forces for two years, U.S. Marshal Service for about another two years, and law and police work uh, where I was a policeman for 23 years, and uh, 
what I think is going on in the United States right now and in the world is exactly what the Bible foretold is happening. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The United States is under judgment. The uh, people of the United States are under judgment. The whole entire country is under judgment. <clears throat> and uh, obviously the current system in the United States will not stand. Uh, it's it's going to be a tremendous time of bloodshed here in the extremely near future. And then you're going to see the iron fist. You're going to see the the glove come off the iron fist and you're going to see the iron fist as far as government. It's going into the antichrist system. Uh, they're going to vaccinate everyone, which means basically tag everyone. Uh, <clears throat> as you know, I work in a hospital right now and I see this going on all the time. These people are running in to get this vaccine right now. And I'm talking about people that are over 60. And I talk to them. They're always asking me, how do, I, how do I get to the vaccination clinic in the hospital? And they stop me all the time because I'm in uniform. And I always ask them a question. I say, you sure you want to do that? And every one of them know that it's wrong. Every one of them has reservations. And if they ask me, I say, well, you're, you're sticking an experimental vaccine in your body. That's never happened before, and you don't know what effect it's going to have. Are you sure you want to do that? Why don't you wait? Why don't you wait six months or a year? This is, it's not deadly. You know, 99% of the people that get it survive. I said they're skewing the statistics all over the place. They're taking regular flu deaths, throwing them on the COVID. you got all this fraud going on. Are you sure you want to do this? And they all don't want to do it, but they feel compelled to do it. So they're running in there. You can't turn. I wasn't able to turn one person out of maybe 30 people that I've talked to, All mostly men. I don't usually talk to women about it, but mostly men my age, you know, and they won't do it. They, they're like, they're under a trance. And see, because of that, because of that, they're under a delusion and they're going to remain under this. So that's the, that's that's why this this country uh, it, it's not going to survive in this current state because the people have been corrupted and brainwashed. They can't stand and they won't stand. Uh, and it's going to, the country's under judgment because of the the, the sin, the murder of the innocent. And the homosexuality, the, the sodomites that have taken over everything, parading themselves around before, you know, this this is unprecedented. It never happened before. And God, if he's done what he's always done in the past historically in the Bible, you can see exactly what's going to happen to our country. <clears throat> so the, the, only, the only people that have any genuine protection against this are the born-again believers, the blood-washed Christians. God Amen. has a covenant with them to provide for them and protect them. And I think what they're supposed to do is prepare as is expected, you know, because everyone can see it coming. You know, I see a lot of a lot of people believe in the rapture and all that. Well, I don't, I don't believe that because I don't see the evidence of that in the Bible. I see 
people saying that they want to want to believe they believe that they won't have to go through suffering and hard time and all that they want to believe that but if you look at the christian church and even the current one in other countries africa and the middle east and all that they're suffering they've been suffering they've been mowed down by the millions and uh so for, for us to expect that we're so special after being part of what's going on in this country, even alluding to it, uh, we're not going to escape what they're escaping. We're going to go through the same thing. And uh, naturally, because we are Christians, we're, we will survive because our faith will be in Jesus Christ and none other, no other so that's what I've seen going on. And, I, you know, I wish in a way that's bad news, but in a way it's very good news too because Jesus mm-hmm. is very near and his words are being fulfilled as far as tribulation on the earth that has never been before nor ever will be again. That's the time period that we're in right now. So I'm, I'm happy. I rejoice and I see God preparing for protecting me and preparing for me every day as other Christians, so I'm at peace. But I have no illusions about what's happening to the United States right now. I'm not going to live in a fantasy world and pretend I don't see what I see. And I'm not going to lock out the Holy Spirit when he talks to me and tells me what what is transpiring. The Spirit of Truth is telling us all, as Christians, exactly what's going on and what to expect. So that's uh-huh. what I see, <laughs> and that's love it. Question. Well, I think it's a perfect balance, and I believe the same way. And putting what we're talking about today into, uh, you know, this conversation. So, if you're martyred, if you're persecuted, if you wind up in prison, if you're being killed uh, for doing what is right, you have to know that that too will work into the eternal purpose of things. But I totally agree with you. Um, I, I can't tell you that I, what I don't understand is why so many other people are not raising their voice louder and declaring to our nation the things that we are all witnessing. I believe that so many people are seeing it, but they don't know how to describe it. They're thinking the church is telling them we're out, we're get ready for the preacher rapture. Um, and really what's coming is a, a level of, of demonic, satanic warfare manifesting in a natural world through different mechanisms, whoever that iron fist may be, for example. So, yeah, turmoil is here. We, we believe that with all of our heart. And um, just trying to wake up a people and get them ready, um, it's a very interesting assignment, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's willing to stand up and, and, and understand what time it is. It's really very interesting. You know what I find myself struggling with uh, lately? And uh, I'm not used to struggling with this. I find myself struggling with anger. And I, I'm not an angry person. I'm not an angry man. Uh, I've forsaken that a long time ago. But I'm, I find myself becoming angry because of seeing how people are just, how, how American people are, instead of turning to Jesus, they're turning to leaders that are fallible. 
They're turning to doctrines of devils that sound good, but they're false. They're turning to them instead of turning to Christ. I see that everywhere. I even see that in my own family. Put your trust in Jesus Christ because man has always and always will let you down. Uh, We've seen tremendous examples of that lately, you know, this thing with uh, President Trump. Uh, you don't ever put your faith completely in any man. I see these Democrats now, I, I live around them, where I live at, they put their faith in Biden. <laughs> and he, he's not even a functioning president. He's not able to function. But they put their their faith in that name, and they say, well, this is the answer. <clears throat> and they see the whole thing coming down and being destroyed right in front of them. And they just hold their ground. They just hold their ground. And the only answer for this is, and I'm afraid suffering is going to bring it about, as it always has. The only answer is faith in Jesus Christ, the only real truth that there is, the one and only, the great I am. That's the only one you should put complete faith in. And Americans have watched their country being destroyed. They've watched their medical system lying to them, using them, abusing them, taking them just for money and New World Order agenda, which wants to exterminate them and fully intends to. All of this, people are are putting their faith in those things that are being destroyed right in front of them. And they just hold their ground. And it's like they have to wait for the big one to hit them. And the big one's going to hit them. It's on the way. It's on the track, headed right for them. And what are they going to do then? You know? And I think as Christians, what we have to do, we have to be ready to receive that harvest. Because that will be our duty, to receive that harvest of totally insane people that have put their faith in man and in Americanism and in a system and they watch it be destroyed right in front of them, where they can't even eat or, you know, get proper services. Any of the things that they're familiar with that they grew up with will be gone, It'll be like a desert. And they're going to have to turn to Jesus Christ because that's the only one that can save them and provide for them. We have to be ready for that. We have to be ready for that. And we can't despair. We can't discourage and we can't really allow anger to take us over. Uh, I'm an American. I fought for this country. I watched people die around me, fight for this country. And they really did fight, not because they're getting paid to do it or any other reason. They fought for each other. The whole idea is they wanted to believe that they were fighting for their country. And all of it now is, it appears that it was for nothing. And in many respects, it was. So I, because of that, I, I, I struggle with this anger issue. I'm, I'm basically past it now. I'm just going to take my peace and decide to go through it and do what good I can to serve the body of Jesus Christ, to serve God, to serve Jesus. That's my mission now. And it's the only one left. It's 
the only one left. Beautiful. Amen. You know, you, you brought up a point, and I'm sorry if on Blog Talk Radio we're not broadcasting through anymore. We're definitely on YouTube and Facebook and uh, RevMedia.com uh, for people staying in with the broadcast. You know, I, I, w- I want to be honest about this as well, that, you know, you brought up a point, this debacle with the Donald Trump thing. Um, there are people out there, thousands, thousands, and I know hundreds of thousands of millions that followed the thousands or the hundreds or whatever it is of people that just, you know, maintained a and preached the second coming of Donald Trump. And it amazes me that these people that are preaching the second coming of Donald Trump are maintaining that, even though the things that said were supposed to happen by God, the prophets said he was going to win the second term, but God didn't explain everything to them kind of thing. Now we're going to wait it out and we're going to see that. And people maintain that. And you, you try to be a nice guy and you try to say, well, you know, we don't want to throw stones and condemn and be guilty. But unfortunately, this is just as deadly to the body of Christ as the left is. Uh, because you, the body of Christ won't feed off of the left, the dragon with the pitchfork, but they will feed on the narrative that, you know, Trump's coming back and everything's going to change and it's going to be a better America and they're all going to get arrested and, you know, all of that. But in reality, that is not what's happening. That is a reality. There are more people looking for the things of this world to come into their view so that they can continue on in, in, a, in a certain way of life and – that's not healthy. And my question to the, the multitudes of people that are still following these ideas that people are shouting louder than you and I shout, they're still shouting out the second coming of Donald Trump. Everything's going to be okay. It's all going to turn. They're going to, that to me is more dangerous. And I, and I do want to say, you know, that kind of angers me a little bit. It's like, wait a second. You know, truth was given. The truth has prevailed. And yet people still want to feed on the lies because there's oritation and, and charisma behind it for the people that are talking about it. And everybody's got their little favorite podcast people. And yet the truth went out and the truth has prevailed. Donald Trump did not win the election. He's not coming back into the office of a president in the next five minutes. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen on March 4th. It's not going to happen in the days ahead. It's not. And yet the body of Christ is feeding on that. The other part that could care less about politics is feeding on once saved, always saved. No need to really repent and no trouble because the pre-tribulational rapture is coming. We're going to be out of here. We'll never have to contend with these things. And so how wicked is it that the body of Christ is feeding on all of these things, just like the apostles and the word of God said in the last days, there would be, like you said, doctrines of demons. So, yeah, there's an angst there, and there's a revelation and a knowledge and a knowing that this country and this earth are, you know, it's set up for disaster. Yeah. There's a third wave coming. War is coming, not peace. And it's just it's a very interesting thing from a perspective of uh, what people are really tuning into, what people are really feeding on. You know, what we taught here today is an internal, personal reality of what the Bible actually says God is doing with us, that even through these days that are coming, we still have an eternal hope. We still know that there's a purpose to our existence and what God is doing. And that is just real. But it's also very real 
that a lot of stuff out there that is truly being talked about being Christianity is a counterfeit. It's not real. And yet because of big names and big pulpits, the people still want to feed on it. They do not want to recognize what is coming to this country. And whatever the force, whatever the device is that God is going to raise against this nation, whatever that is, he's told us this is what's coming. So I understand your frustration, and I understand the little bit of angst and, you know, taking that position, you know, of just get ready. We're going to walk through it. We're going to go through it. Um, But very few people really are preparing in that manner. They're hoping in yeah. something they should not be hoping in. And Don, to me, that's, that's uh, terrifying, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, you know, you brought up uh, uh, Donald Trump's going to come back. Oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> he won the election, but they stole it from him. And what, what I keep asking people, you know, Trump's coming. No, no, no. If they stole it from him this time, they're really going to be entrenched next time. Unless there's a people revolution in blood, they're going to steal it from them again, maybe even faster and harder. So there's no reason to think that Donald Trump is going to come back. He's gone. He's not coming back anywhere. He won't have time to come. Back. This country won't even be under constitutional government in another four years. I mean, common sense will tell you that. This is a communist insurgency that did a coup, a physical. They've been doing the, the spiritual and the the, um, the mental coup for a long time, but this is the actual physical coup where they took over the United States, ripped a, a presidential election that was won by a candidate who rightfully won it in a landslide, and just said, "Nope, we're gonna uh, we're gonna just sit here and we're gonna we're gonna maintain power." And we're just going to lie and say that our guy, which is a demented 78-year-old man who can't even, you know, run the government at all, we're going to just put this guy up there. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And if you don't like it, what are you going to do? Storm the state house? Okay. That was a great act. That was, to me, that was akin to the Boston Tea Party needed to happen People needed to see that. They needed to see real American anger on a grassroots level, and it scared them to death. So they got thousands of National Guard soldiers around them to protect their coup, and they put up a big fence and all this and that. Okay, fine. But it doesn't change the fact that those people seize power in the United States, and they fully intend on keeping it, and if they're, they're going to create all the chaos that they possibly can so that they've already said they don't trust their soldiers. They don't trust the Guard. They don't trust the Army because they say they're loyal to Trump. Well, they're not loyal to Trump. They're loyal to the Constitution, who Trump stated that he was loyal to and took actions to demonstrate that. But the point is, they're going to say next, we can't trust our military. We need U.N. peacekeepers. Bring in these communist red Chinese who basically we gave the country to, so now you're going to come up, come in physically with combat troops, and you're going to take the country. The whole country is going to go into war, and it's going to come close to being taken over. These are these are uh, they could be up to a million and maybe more combat Russian 
uh, um, yeah, Russian to Russian and communist combat troops has already been staged in Canada and Mexico in preparation for this. This is all planned. And that's what's going to happen to the United States. The United States is going to balkanize. It's going to fracture into states. And those states are going to have to defend themselves, period. As far as the United States, they're not going to be united anymore. I mean, there's a good part of them are just going to they're going to be uh, staged in by foreign troops, that communist troops that have come in to take power and maintain that to steal our country. Now, and actually they're not stealing it. It was given to them by people like the Clintons and the Bushes and all of them. They sold this country to them in a tradious manner to make all the money that they could for themselves and their corporations. When the Chinese come in here, they won't be stealing it. They'll be taking ownership. It was given to them by traders in Washington, and it's that simple. Mm. What is going to happen to the United States is going to exactly what the first judgment that God instituted against the Israeli people when they rebelled and turned against him. I'm going to give you over to your enemies, and that's what he did. He gave, he let all the enemies of Israel come in and destroy Israel and take their country. That's the first judgment. And that's exactly the judgment that's happening right now to the United States. Its enemies are coming in and they're taking the United States. And the people are going to have to fight. It's just that simple. And if they choose not to fight, they're going to be enslaved. They're already being enslaved. They're, they're making them wear masks everywhere. They're lying to them about some vaccine. They got them scared to death. And I, I got to tell you, most American people are capitulating to this thing. They're allowing it to happen because they think, they think somehow at the end of the rainbow here, there's going to be a good ending for them. It's like the Jews when they got on the boxcars to go into Germany. They were told, okay, you're going to, we got to relocate you. We're going to give you a loaf of bread. We're going to, Relocate you to a work camp, and what did the what did it say say in Ravensbrook? Work is the path to freedom. Okay, you come on here, worker. We're gonna resettle you. And they shaved their heads, took their clothes off them, and marched them right in the gas chambers. And those people knew they had heard the rumors of the people that escaped those camps of where they were being taken. When they were shaving their heads, they were asking, "Is the is the gas gonna be fast? It's gonna what, is it going to be slow? They knew, but they were herded, and once they got herded, brainwashed, and put in there, they thought the only thing they could do is go along and hope somehow for an ending. And what was the what was the ending they hoped for in the end? Is that the gas wouldn't be too bad? And that's what's exactly what's happening to American people right now. And. A lot, a lot of American people can see it. A lot of people in this country can see it. But what's sad about it and what angers me is they see it and they won't do a thing. They're getting on the boxcars. No problem. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go because maybe there'll be a happy ending. And there's no happy ending coming. It's over. It's just that simple. All right, Don. Sobering words to bring it into our broadcast today. I'm about 12 minutes over. I've got to get running. Uh, very sobering. Those words are now sealed. They uh, are going to be heard again. This message will be going 
everywhere as it does. It circulates roundabout, and people need to deal with what they just heard. They could agree. They could disagree. Um, but again, if we're looking at the world through the biblical lens and we're witnessing the signs of the times to ignore or to hide from the reality is not a wise thing to do. So we keep marching one day at a time. And uh, Don, thanks for joining me on the air. We're going to let it sit there right now for just a moment. And uh, God bless you, my friend. Shalom. All right. Uh, I'm sorry we're out of time, folks. i got to go, and we could talk more tomorrow. It's been an honor to be with you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, omegaradio.org. There's a roundtable discussion. You've never heard this one before. It's awesome with the people that are studying out of the book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Patricia Joy Xavier, the author of the book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights, is leading that roundtable discussion right now on omegaradio.org. Until we meet again, shalom, God bless, see you tomorrow. This is Pastor Vince. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.